0: Bob Dylan with a personal endorsement for Norm and Jackie. How does it feel to be on your own Listen to TopCast in your home? Celebrity voice impersonated. You're listening to TopCast, this old pinball's online radio. For more information, visit them anytime. www.marvin3m.com
1: TopCast.
0: A pinball artist that worked for Bally during the 1970s and certainly made some of the most beautiful glasses and playfield artwork of any game of any era. He did such games as Monte Carlo, Twin Win, Air Aces, Wizard, Captain Fantastic, Matahari, Power Play, Six Million Dollar Man, Voltan, Dolly Parton, Nitro Ground Shaker, and of course, Fireball. So we're going to be talking to him right now. Special guest. Special guest. Special guest. Special guest. I'd like to welcome Dave Christensen to TopCast as we're going to talk to him right now and give him a call and see how he's doing and uh, get some of his stories on how he did uh and playfield artwork for such famous ballet games during the 1970s as Fireball, Monte Carlo, Twin Win. Nitro Ground Shaper, um, Old Chicago, Captain Fantastic, and all the great classic Bally EM games. So let's give him a call right now. Hello. Hi. Is this Dave? Yes. Okay. So tell me how you got into the pinball art department at Bally. I mean, were you always interested in pinball or was this just a job that you happened to take up? You know, how did how did you get uh, how did you get started at Bally?
1: Well, I got there in 1966 and uh at that time Bally had recently developed a a new slot machine for Las Vegas one that could pay out uh, a lot more than the old mechanical ones that they were currently using right the, the Bally
0: slots were uh like the first electromechanical ones were well,
1: yeah they had a a, a like a bank type hopper that could count out coins you know you ever see those hoppers that you pour money into it and then they count them out? You ever see that?
0: Right, right. It wasn't the style where they had, you could you only pay out five or ten coins or just a jackpot. It actually counted
1: the money out. Yeah, from this, like, it's utilizing a bank-type coin counter. Right. Know? And they uh, they were the first ones to... I developed that technology for a slot machine so it could actually pay out, up, you know, up to like a thousand coins. So I was hired, I was doing freelance work in the loop in Chicago for a company that was making, uh, doing military work. Like uh, I was doing exploded views and technical drawings for uh, basically uh, an account with the Rockwell arsenal, you know, Rock Island, Illinois, the uh, M60 tanks. Stuff like that. They were doing service manuals, and uh, anyway, somehow they blew it. Somehow they had a little thing cooking with Bally, but it never materialized. And I went over there, and I I got a job as a freelance artist doing uh, technical manuals for them.
0: Oh, so the Bally technical manuals you were writing, and or you were right. illustrating? Writing and illustrating. Now, was this in the slot machine department?
1: Yeah. So I was I did that for a while, and then. Uh, since I was working there as a freelancer they because of the the problems with the security, they actually gave me an office to do my work in for the service manual so so because of the federal rules in illinois they didn't you couldn't have slot machines out of the factory because they had to be shipped basically um they had to be shipped out of state and you couldn't really have them out in the public so i I basically did my work in the factory. And because I was right next to the art department or in the engineering, I was in the engineering department, but they were basically uh just starting pinball at that time. Six, 65, 66 was basically when a lot of states okayed pinballs again because it, prior to that they were illegal because of the uh, they used to pay out. But now the newer pinballs didn't pay out. It was just for amusement. I, I uh, submitted a few samples of my artwork, and I made up an a imaginary pinball machine. So basically, I got it got in the door that way. So
0: now you're in the pinball department. Well, and...
1: not really. I was doing my work kind of remoted uh, in, from the engineering department. So I was basically just doing it for, on a freelance basis for them.
0: But were you considered still in the slot machine
1: department at that point? Yeah.
0: Did you like working in the slot machines?
1: Well, that's what I was hired for. Was basically doing um, technical manuals for the slot machine.
0: But it obviously didn't uh, really cater to your artistic side, as it may be, or your creative side, right? I mean, doing art, you yeah, know, doing, doing
1: pinballs is just for the fun of it, basically.
0: So now, how? What was your uh, your first pinball project that you got? Free, that you got? Uh, uh, I guess you were you freelance the pinball stuff, right? Yeah.
1: Right. Okay. In fact, I was a freelancer all the way, but I basically worked out of the plan itself it gave, just gave me a, a, an area to work and I brought in all my own tools equipment and you know and uh, basically I, they just provided me a room and a desk to work on
0: so what, what kind of tools did you did you need you mean all your drawing tools and and, yeah. and right. all that kind of stuff you know but and so what, now what was your first pinball project that you got into? Well I mean I saw on the like it went through the well, the it, first
1: Basically the first one.
0: Looked like it was Fireball it, it, it or something. It was never
1: made, it was, it, it, but it had a kind of a gangster motif, like, uh, it was like, a, but Bally, because of, uh, because they were making slot machines, they didn't want to have a gangster motif. They, they wanted to have more of a, uh, family thing. It had nothing to do with hoodlums. Right. But then the next one was, the first one was, uh, that I actually did the artwork for it was, a, one called Odds and Evens, which had a, uh, a roulette connotation to it. So it basically showed a Monte Carlo type setting with uh with a big shot, with two girls on his arms, and he was kind of uh, in front of a roulette wheel, and he was pulling in the, the chips. You know.
0: Right. Yeah. It was a guy like in a white tuxedo with uh, a yeah, uh, very voluptuous uh, blonde with his her with arms the, around his you know, neck. That
1: was the uh, the first one was kind of a more of a cartoony one that was a two player no one player right odds and, and even then one. odds and evens but then they just they decided uh they kind of went into this four player business and then so the first big success was uh Monte Carlo which was basically the odds and evens game but a four player and I did the uh this basically made a, just changed the back black class to more of a realistic thing.
0: Right, you mean less with less of a cartoon? Less cartoony, yeah. Yeah, and did you like doing the more realistic art, or did you like the more cartoony art? You no,
1: know, oh, I liked, you know, basically I, being a technical illustrator, I just basically liked doing the, you know, doing things that were realistic, you know.
0: Yeah, the uh, the Monte Carlo art is definitely more, uh, I would call it refined than uh than the uh, yeah yeah you're right and it had a, and you drew another girl in it too you had now I yeah, two, two girls. girls yeah yeah which is always a bonus yeah. s- since pinball is mostly a male dominated type uh, yeah, thing blonde
1: and a brunette right okay. exactly kind of went in into the just like <laughs> like roulette you know red and black you know
0: now so, tell me about Fireball well
1: Fireball that was the last game designed by a guy who was a kind of a legend in the business, an old guy from...
0: Ted Zale, you mean?
1: Yeah. He came up with this idea of this rotating plate in the middle of the play field. And that was that really went over big. And then the old thing was shooting balls. So I came up with Fireball, which was kind of a... If you remember back, there was a cartoon of comic in comic books there was a guy there was a man of fire and I kinda got the idea from that.
0: Right, but there was he was uh, in the Marvel Comics or something like that. Yeah,
1: Marvel Comics had a they had a bunch of crazy uh characters that were solving crime by <laughs> I don't know. They were just running around wiping out gangsters. Yeah, I
0: remember and um
1: yeah, I I, yeah. I remember
0: that character though I can't put his name, yeah, name it, on it. Uh, now, are you a are you a um, a comic strip, or you know? No,
1: no, no, not in. That's not your thing. No, I I was never a comic book guy.
0: Now, did you actually come up with the name Fireball?
1: Yeah, basically all 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 the games that I did, I basically did the, the whole idea thing, and uh, it was a, it was a really a loose run organization. They had uh, some of their pinball machines were done by. Uh, a commercial company called Ad Posters, which was down on, on Allstead Street, North Avenue in Allstead. It was a big old company down there in the middle of a very horrible area at the time.
0: Yeah, they were the company that actually did the silk screening for the artwork, right?
1: Well, they also did the art artwork, too.
0: So they had their own team of artists there. And you were almost in competition with them then?
1: Yeah, I was basically hurting their business because they had a virtually 100% lock on the industry for a while. You know, they did everything from Gottlieb and Williams.
0: Did you ever work for ad posters? No. So you were always strictly, purely contract or freelance? No, I worked
1: from 66 to approximately part of 75 as a freelancer for them. and then uh,
0: For a freelancer for ad posters or for Bally?
1: For Bally. For, for Bally, for okay. Like I said, they... They built a, a small office, just a cubicle in the engineering department for me. But then the, uh, the new, uh, president came in. He wanted, uh, he made one of his, uh, college pals as the art director. We brought him in and he, and he didn't want any loose ends like freelancers because they said of corporate security and all that sort of stuff. And so they offered me a position. That had a, that I would a get em- profit sharing and health insurance, all that stuff. So,
0: so you were a Bally employee at that point. And
1: then I became a Bally employee till I till I left. Oh, so were you up up to before I came? Before I came along, they they used to do most virtually all the artwork. Gotcha. But then there was another group of guys that were hired just about the time when I showed up, and that was the uh, Three Brothers. They also did artwork for Bally. And uh, so the uh, artwork for all the different games was divided up mainly between ad Posters, myself, and uh, uh, the White Brothers, yeah, the the Whites. And uh, they also had a kind of a remoted office, too. And so they did their... Worked very secretly in an office across the street, and where I worked in the, in the engineering department, they worked in another department that was above the uh, parts room. And then you had Ad Poster, which did artwork for everybody, like Gottlieb and and, uh,
0: and Williams and that.
1: Yeah, everybody. They did the artwork for everybody. Hmm. So that's the way it kind of started in '66. When I first started there the only they had this artist that was did that Caperville style that, that was that was uh yeah the Jerry Kelly the Jerry Kelly stuff Yeah, you know.
0: the pointy artwork right now you you did uh, one called Twin Win do you remember that class
1: oh yeah twin win
0: yeah and it had a real pretty girl in the center of it and two kind yeah, of right. you know, formula cars on it yeah
1: they put the guys in the engineering department who basically designed the game. They uh, had like a little track in the play field, and as you hit different scores, those little lights that were on the track would move forward almost like a, like a pegboard. They'd just kind of move around like, a, like what, what's that card game where you use a board that you move little pins around on it?
0: Right. I know what you mean. Now, the girls that you drew in your glasses, were these people you knew, or... I mean, where did you get the the individuals that actually ended up in your glasses?
1: Basically, just basically, it just had models out of men's magazines, basically. The only girl that I, that I copied from, I had a girlfriend called Jerry, and she was on uh, that Mata Hari machine.
0: Oh, right, right, right. That was
1: her face on that one. Okay. But the rest of them were just out of, you know, just out of basically magazines.
0: Now, a friend of mine... uh has a game called Bally Four F O R E like is in golf.
1: Oh yeah. Did you have anything to do with that game? Yeah, I did the back class. You did. So you did the back
0: class on that one. Okay. Yeah. Because you know he was looking at it and he said, "Man, real old game."
1: I, I think actually that was the first game I ever did. Yeah. Because, because he, they he, the, he, the game came in from ad posters and it was so bland and so stupid looking that. Uh, they asked me to do uh, do something, to see if I could come up with something. And then there was another one called Bon Voyage that was made about the same time.
0: Right, right.
1: And uh, that again was made by ad posters, but they thought the artwork on the back glass was so terrible that they asked me to do it. So
0: now, did you do the play field on Four also, or just I can't the...
1: remember? Okay, it, it has really looked at. It. I could tell. You Usually, could tell my artwork.
0: Now, Playboy came out with um. An article on pinball in in uh, in, in like '71 or '72 in yeah. Fireball was the like the the main machine on about that article. Um, you know, and that was obviously that was your you know your machine. You did the artwork for that game. I, yeah, right. how, how did you feel about that?
1: Once a time, it's just like. When you're just working, it's just like a guy that designed the Studebaker, you know. The guy that basically does it, really, very few people get any recognition, you know. Who do you know that designed the latest Mustang, you know, that the names just don't come out? You know, there's there's just a few automotive designers that basically ever hit the news, like Raymond Lurie or something like that, or Brooke Stevens, and. A few uh, people come to mind, but the artists that worked on pinballs basically were never recognized. In fact, they didn't, they didn't even want us to uh, sign our names to the, uh, to the, the artwork. artwork. Huh? I usually just snuck my initials in PGC here and there in a few games, and that, that was about it. So the so
0: the Playboy article was a, you know a little bit of recognition for you then.
1: I don't think they even mentioned my name. <laughs>
0: Wow, because it was really predominant how much they showed that machine and you know and, and your artwork in it, you know and um, wow. you know they made a big fuss about it, you know.
1: Yeah, that, that right there in the uh, late '60s and early '70s, boy, uh, pinball was just going crazy, you know. But you have to remember, sh- City Chicago, they they just uh, and New York basically okayed pinballs just about that time, right. They were prior to that. They were illegal.
0: Now you did another glass uh, or another game called Rogo. Did you name that one? Did you come up with that name?
1: No, Norm Clark did that. He was the uh, chief designer for pinballs. He was the man in charge. He, uh, I don't know, just came off the top of his head.
0: Okay. Was there anything? Uh, you know, you kind of—it's kind of this. I don't know. You know, Viking. Yeah. Yeah, kind of a Viking with a girl in his arms. I, I mean, yeah. The, when they, when they. Said we need artwork for a game. Would you? Would they just? Would they give you any theme or any ideas, or you just basically they left it all up to you?
1: Yeah, mostly it was just left up to me. I had no idea what Rogo meant, but uh, that was just some Norm would come up with some name occasionally. The hockey game,
0: with the power play, game, or yeah,
1: power play. No, was it was Bobby Orr. Right, that Bobby
0: was, uh, Orr's Power Play.
1: Power Play, I came up with that one because at the time he wanted, uh, he was thinking of slapstick. And I said, well, I thought Power Play meant uh, it was a little more heavy, you know, like uh, or Yeah, it's a better name. It just it, it, it had a little more impact.
0: Right. So wouldn't you, when they, would they actually give you a machine that had no artwork on it and say, you know, somehow implement your theme, your artwork into this play field? And you know, and make it work and just leave you to do
1: it I was just given what they call the whitewood, which was the the engineering you know the play field, and then uh i'd come up with some ideas, and it was just kind of a it was a very easy going friendly place to work for it was I usually went along with ideas you know i had, you know friends that, younger guys at at that time where they'd have ideas, so you know the department basically wasn't that huge, you know. It was just like a just one huge room with all 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 kinds of cubicles where everybody just did their own thing. You know, we used to have such terrific parties there; it was unbelievable. Any excuse for a party, we'd uh, all march over, go down the street. There was a big bar. Bill Donald'd come in, lay a couple hundred on the bar, and says drinks for everybody. You know, it was uh, really fun era, and then our Christmas parties down in the, the Loop. They were at a, a big hotel down there, and it, it was just incredible. The uh, the Bally Christmas parties were famous. They were held at the Palmer House in Chicago. It was free everything. Martinis, Manhattans. They'd have uh, food that was unbelievable. You know, lobster thermidor. They'd have uh, huge sides of rare roast beef. The dinners and the uh, and, and all. Of, you know, just the perks and everything was. Back in the 60s and 70s, you couldn't beat Bally for having a good time. Then, when it went public, everything kind of changed. Well, they even had a, uh, a bar in the uh, in the uh, right next to the executive uh, uh, dining room. Huh. It was the bar was open all day long. You could, if you were part of the uh, engineering and the executives, any any time of the day, you could uh, just walk in this bar and get a get a get a drink. Wow, it was unbelievable.
0: Now. The, um, did they ever say to you, like, okay, we're silk screening this and we only want you to use eight colors or we only want you to use, you know, a maximum of ten colors? Were you ever given any constraints like that during, you know, during the art process?
1: Well, I, did, I asked to, like, basically 12 screens it was kind of the rule of thumb. Sometimes they went up to 14 that included the, uh, the, the, the backing. Bl- yeah, the black and the, the white, white and the masking. Okay. But uh, there wasn't really too much of a constraint. I was going to introduce mirroring to the glass. I think I introduced that on uh, the Elton John game.
0: Right, the Captain Fantastic, exactly. Yeah.
1: They kind of cut out mirroring because of the expense and the mess. It was a very messy process to make a mirrored glass.
0: So did you have to start with a mirror and then etch away the parts you didn't yeah, want? Yeah,
1: that's where it got messy because you you uh, did silkscreen a uh, resist onto the gla- onto the mirror glass, and and every any place where the resist wasn't silkscreened on, that that would be uh, washed off with a with sort of an acid, and that's where uh, the expense and the mess came in.
0: Like when you were doing your artwork, though at Bally, at yeah. did you hand your artwork off to somebody that did all the color separations, or did you have to do all that too?
1: No, I did my own separations.
0: Okay. Say that we got this game, we need art for it, here's the white wood. What were the steps that, to actually make the artwork and what you had to do before it was finalized?
1: Well, I get a uh, full-size paper um, blueprint of, of the uh, game, of the, you know, the engineering part of the game. You
0: mean like the play field and plastics and the, the background.
1: Um, and then a plan of the scoring, how it was scored and what and so I could um, somehow present the player with uh, some logical way of make it easy to figure out. You know, everything a lot of things keyed if you hit one target that would raise the uh, you know, the line on other targets and stuff like that. Light up certain features and stuff like that.
0: So, was your first drawing that you had that you know that you presented to whoever the game designer or management or or whoever gave you your approval was it all just like a black and white you know pencil type drawing?
1: Well, I would take the blueprint was on just a white paper and I would uh, I would kind of lay out on the paper itself my idea. In, in pencil and then sometimes i would get, get duplicates of that for and then i would kind of color in the different indicate the colors and then uh uh the second step after some of my ideas got approved i would uh i would make i would place a, a mylar a frosted mylar you know that's over my uh, my sketches, the final sketch, and then I would uh, ink the black line first. And then I would just do the overlays using uh, ruby leather. Some of, them, some of them were very fine. I'd have to use other frosted mylar. This is a translucent uh, plastic that's frosted on one side. Sure. And that would take ink. So hmm. Most of them had, like I said, around anywhere from 12, 12 colors, and then you'd have the white and the uh, the mask that would uh, direct the lighting. That would be up to about 14 different steps to silkscreen.
0: So black. each one of these layers of, the, of this frosted mylar was basically your color separation then? Yeah. And so you well, lay them all together. Ruby, and...
1: I would use this ruby lit stuff too. If you do to make it, they uh, put a red color coating on top of uh, like a cellophane, and then you'd uh, peel off different parts that you didn't want silkscreened or something.
0: Okay, and then you, you would give would you give these um, these layers to to whoever was to the the guy in charge of silkscreen, and he would he would you know turn that into the screens.
1: Yeah, it was a very expensive photographic process, you, you know, getting films that big. At first it was sent to an outside, uh, outfit that would do it, and then, but then in the, uh, oh, around 19, maybe 69, they, they built their, they got their own camera equipment, and then they, they did, uh, did it themselves. Also, Allison included the slot machine glass. So, Valley became more or less, they didn't really need to add posters to do anything. Because prior to that, Ed Poster was. Uh,
0: Handled the whole thing, right? Yeah, they
1: they, they had all equipment the, uh, the silk screening, the making of the silk screens, the whole kit and caboodle. You know, they, they provided the class and everything else.
0: How long would it take you to do a game, a pinball game, you know, doing the backlash, the flat plastics, and the play field from start to finish? How long would that take you?
1: Well, it's taking me three
0: months. Captain Fantastic, one of your more certainly one of the more famous games and famous glasses. The all the little characters, you know. There's, uh, you know, you got Elton John playing the pinball machine on the yeah, front, yeah. and then behind them, I mean, you got everybody from, I don't know, probably people that worked there to Hitler to all kinds of different people there. I mean, yeah. We're, we're, where did you come up with that idea and you know and, and these and the people that were actually that you drew into there?
1: well, I always went out for a few drinks at lunch <laughs> it was just it was just a joke it was just a joke if you remember the movie that was Elton John was playing on stage, and he had this kind of a, an audience there and i to join that that audience, I just you know. Either they're going to be kind of cutesy, or they're going to be just kind of just nobodies out there. So I can try to make it the uh, audience kind of interesting.
0: Now, why, like, you have like Brutus is in it, and and Hitler are in it? Why, why those people? I mean, of all, you know, all the kind of strange people to pick.
1: Yeah. Well, I don't think you can come up with any logical answer for this. It was just.
0: It's just how you just felt just at the time, stuff. right? Great glass. I mean, it's one of my well. And the other one, of course, that was just a masterpiece was Wizard, with on yeah. uh, Roger Daltrey and Ann Margaret on him. And yeah. yeah, I mean, that was um. That's a piece of work. That one, well, if
1: you remember, part of that movie did involve the Blitz in London. You If you remember that? Sure, sure. And um. Maybe that's for the idea for putting Hitler in there because it was the, uh, involved in the uh,
0: oh in the World War II the,
1: right the, the blitz thing right. But believe me, I uh, there was no real logical. It wasn't meant to offend anybody.
0: Oh sure, no. It's not and like did they ever? Did the Bally executives ever come up to you and say, "Dave, those uh, you know, there's something we don't you know, there's somebody in there we don't like, or the girl is."
1: Yeah. To, you yeah. know,
0: there's too much nipple showing on the yeah. girl or anything
1: no, like that? N- normally not. They did get, they did get a complaint about in that audience scene in that theater where the girl was, uh, grabbed this guy's crotch. It was apparently like he was bothering her and so she fought back a little bit. And, uh, they said maybe you should put a, like a mirrored star over her hand. that it, you know, so it doesn't look like to tell what she was really doing. It.
0: And that was the starred back class version.
1: Yeah, there was. And then on Mata Hari, she was holding a dagger that had an inscription in German on it that they didn't like.
0: What did the inscription say?
1: Well, it was in German. It said, my, my honor is my loyalty in German. And
0: they didn't like that?
1: No, because that was engraved on, uh, on dress daggers that the German army had the nineteen thirty three dress dagger that was for officers and they felt that would bring back bad memories.
0: Gotcha. So that's why there was two versions of the Matahari glass.
1: Yeah, just the only difference was to take that inscription off.
0: Right, right. Now when you worked with somebody like on the Wizard Glass when you had the you know, you had Roger Daltrey and Anne Margaret, the you know, two of the stars from the movie Tommy yeah. On the glass, did they have to give approval of your artwork?
1: Yeah, I and Margaret did. At first, we made I made a, a version of her with her hair up, and she didn't like it because it looked too much like a. Uh, she said that kind of dated it, dated her. It was kind of like a beehive haircut, and by 19, what is that, 74? The beehive haircuts kind of were passe, so. She wanted a different one, and the same thing went for the Dolly Parton glass. She uh, she reviewed it several times. First, I had her in a uh, wearing just blue jeans and kind of a gingham blouse. She said uh, because she was at that time kind of crossing over into from kind of like country music into uh, different music. She wanted to appear more cosmopolitan. She didn't want to look like a country girl. Hmm. And, uh, and, uh, and then she also liked butterflies. That was her theme. We added butterflies. And then, and then she, because of the crossover thing, she from strictly country music to the modern music, like the country and western singers today sing. They, they just don't, they, if you remember, she was singing more of uh, ballads and stuff. She didn't want that uh, e haw image, you know. So we changed her hair a couple times, and uh, then she wanted that yellow chiffon dress. That was she wanted to get out of the blue jeans. So we actually uh, made several versions for Dolly Parton. It got to be kind of expensive.
0: So she was the the hardest clientele to work with during that era.
1: Well, she wasn't. It wasn't her personally. It was her ma- her manager she wore pointed shoes.
0: Right. <laughs>
1: right but uh apparently he he made her rich, so he can't can't uh really uh can't really say it was wrong because he steered her in the right direction all the time. We'll be
0: back in just a moment with our conversation with Dave Christensen. TopCast is brought to you by Pinball Life. Give your pinball machine new life with parts from Pinball Life. We ship pinball parts worldwide. Pinball Life is located in the great city of Chicago, and their phone number is 773-202-8758. We have an open-door policy, and you're welcome to call us with your questions and concerns, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Central Time, Monday through Friday. Their website is at pinballlife.com, Life. No hassles, just the parts you need fast. We're back with Dave Christensen of Ballyart um, on his famous pinball games during the 1970s. So now, which did you prefer to do? Which was more fun, doing the play field or doing the back glass? Well,
1: the uh, back glass, well, first of all, they tried to explain the play of the game, and then the, the back glass, somehow they both had the kind of carry each other, you know what I mean? They they basically, uh, uh, the theme of the play had to kind of uh, be reflected in the theme of the back class, kind of.
0: So was it more of a challenge to do the, the play field because of, you had to tie in all the scoring type stuff, you mean? Well, it
1: wasn't really that. Of course, today the play fields are so busy, it's really hard to figure out how to score them, you know what I mean? Right. now.
0: The one game, the, the game Future Spa, do you remember that one? Yeah what, yeah. what was the deal with that? Who came up with that name and that theme and everything?
1: Well, they had a management came in with a, what they called a new, a new art director who tried to combine all the different art departments that were working on, on pinball. So he tried to consolidate everything, and, uh, he had his own ideas about, uh, stuff, and so he, he basically changed everything over to a more of a, he was into, uh, space exploration, uh, you know, like outer space. If you remember, there, were, there was an era there where almost all the pinballs had something to do with asteroids and all that kind of stuff, you know.
0: Does that, does that explain, uh, the, the Voltan, uh, glass too a bit? The
1: well, Voltan basically,
0: they put it out
1: and it, the play of the game was so bad that they they didn't they never produced it they just put out a bunch to uh, see how it would go then the uh, people played it once and they, it was just a very boring game to play you have to realize that sometimes the play of the game certainly overrules the artwork sometimes
0: yeah they didn't make a lot of that game that's that's no true. they
1: just, just they had a run of maybe 200 and right. then they uh, they never had a big run
0: Right, beautiful glass, though. I mean, you did a great job on the artwork.
1: Well, yeah, it kind was of almost the... like my job at the time. <laughs> <It> was, <laughs> once they brought in this new art director. I, I was that was about it for me. He didn't like me, and I didn't like him.
0: So you mean all of a sudden it went from being a fun job to not being so fun, eh?
1: No, he brought in mostly you know, corporate type, you know, it was all corporate from there on. It was like, a, all of a sudden, the ability to, uh, you know, to, just come up with your own ideas was well went out the window. So I didn't really last that much longer, and on top of that, industry was going from, you know, it, well, When Pac-Man and all those other games came out, they they more or less started ellipsing the uh, pinballs. and They were were making much more money, and there was virtually no maintenance of the damn things. Right. have to remember there's a lot of uh, maintenance to a a pinball. You know, the service guys were on the run all the time trying to keep all these games going. And uh, with the stuff like Pac-Man and all the rest of them, you know... But the only thing that would go wrong before it would burn out or something.
0: They ever ask you to do artwork for any video games? Um, no. Now, you also did um, the 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 game, the artwork for the game Six Million Dollar Man. Which, yeah. um, were those guys easy to work with? As, as you know, as a licensed
1: theme, as it may be. Oh yeah, I didn't hear anything from them. So you
0: just did want It wasn't like working with Dolly Parton, huh?
1: No, they did. Uh, that, that was a one-off. It went off real good. It. Uh, the only thing that interfered with the artwork was because it was a 6, six player, and so we had had to work around all the uh, you know the readouts, you know, counters.
0: Right. Right. The score displays. Yeah,
1: the score displays. Yeah. But other than that, uh, then they were also experimenting instead of. Doing standard silkscreen, they were going with this four-color stuff. Then they were basically uh, painting the uh, the back glasses, you know. They were using a photo technique to uh, print on the glass instead of uh, silk screen.
0: Now, does that make your job harder or easier to use the four-color process?
1: Well, I like the old way, the silkscreen way. But
0: Now, when you did art where they were using the four-color process... How did that i mean you weren't doing the frosted at mylars for that anymore, right? I mean, how did that work?
1: well, no no, but I always used i still used the black silk screen for the number one and then they they would to print over my uh my black line, but I only did a couple but
0: well, what would they do like take a picture of it and or something or take you have
1: to paint you have to paint the damn thing
0: so the whole thing would become a painting almost
1: yes yeah,
0: and then somehow they would. Uh, through photographic process or something, change that into yeah, it was a color. very
1: tricky thing on that one uh, game with the dragster. Yeah, I was
0: going to ask you, nitro ground shaker.
1: Well, that employed only one night. There was a black screen, that was it, and the rest was painted and printed on the black, lined itself with the black screen.
0: So that was a four-process color back glass with the nitro. Yeah, it was
1: uh, about the only one I did, I think.
0: And um, now that one, I, I really like the artwork on. Though I mean, that's a really yeah. well done glass. I mean, it's a beautiful thing. And, and like the control tower, you know, where you got yeah. somebody's legs sticking up in the, in the tower. I mean, there's just a lot of little subtle pieces to your artwork that you know you look at it. You've looked at the glass a hundred times, and you look at it again, and you say, "Gee, I never seen that before." You know, I never noticed that one little detail. And that that glass really reminds me of that.
1: Every time oh, that, I see it, I used to go to Union Grove Drag Strip. You ever go to, down there?
0: I never went to that one, but when I was a when I was a kid in the seventies, my dad would take me to you know the the um, the drag races. It was kind of fun. Yeah,
1: back in the old days, that was basically a takeoff of Union Grove Drag Strip.
0: So now, when um um there was this one machine or one artwork you did. That for a machine that didn't get produced called uh, let's see if I could say it right. La vie Paris, paris.
1: La V Parisienne. Right, there you go. Thank you.
0: Yeah. Now what was up with that with that artwork in that machine?
1: Well Billy O'Donnell Junior, who was took over the presidency after his dad left. He uh he went to school in Paris and he always had a big thing for Paris. so i made up this game because he wanted to they had a uh they did have a uh distributorship in paris and so this was kind of like a paying homage to his pals in in paris so that's where it came but again uh that's when the whole pinball thing was falling apart
0: Right, and the machine never got made.
1: Yeah, hmm. that's just before I left too.
0: Now, when um, there was a machine that I understand that Herb Silvers actually um asked you to do a glass called Big Dick. What I mean, what? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> tell me about that one.
1: <laughs> no, what what happened was. Uh, I collected a lot of these games myself. I had a uh I had a a collection of old pinballs and old bingo machines and and uh I had an old Williams game called The Big Deal.
0: Right, from like sixty three or something and, like that.
1: And what happened was uh when I was restoring it and painting it, uh or I doing all my touch ups because I I'm constantly renovating something, so slot machines and stuff. I got a big collection of those, and so I was uh, working on the back glass because that that particular back bike or the artwork, was done by Ad Poster. And instead of using enamel paint like Bally did, when they when they developed, when Bally set up their own silkscreen department. They used enamel paints. And uh, if oh, you, you mean remember a lot of old, like old the... pinballs, the paint would peel. You know what I mean? Yeah, does that mean... And, and the... old slot machines that had uh, light bulbs and stuff behind the glass. What would happen, the heat would uh, make the paint peel. But that was because Ad Poster was using uh, casein, water-based casein paints to silkscreen. And uh, they were never uh, very durable especially the yellow color, would always peel. Hmm. And so I was wiping the back glass, cleaning off the uh, the black stuff from the uh, lights and stuff, because the uh, light bulbs would always uh, kind of black in the back glass, you know. So, And I didn't realize they re- had water-based casein paints on the damn glass. And so when I was it off of the detergent, all the paint came off. So I had a I didn't have a glass anymore. (laughs) Right. There was no way to repair it because I, one big swish and all, all the, the whole back glass was ruined. So I I decided I would design my own back glass for it. A pornographic back glass. I, uh, I did that on my own.
0: Okay, I I,
1: I had it silk screened, uh, by some friends in the business and and it was kind of like a joke. How
0: many of those did
1: you have made? Oh I had about a dozen glasses made. I still have a couple back glasses in my deep in my vault <laughs> in my basement. <laughs> but um the one uh, c- collector, Gene Cunningham, he he has a game that I made it for plus plus the gla- glass, so he's got the only machine and uh with the glass that I designed in it, so if you yeah, want to see it. it must see have been Gene Cunningham. Right. He's you know, he's a collector in Bloomington, Illinois. Yep. Gals depicted in that glass
0: were from were people that you know, like uh you know uh you know, some of the women that worked at
1: Bally. No.
0: No, not at all.
1: Not at all. They were just knockoffs. off something out of Hustler magazine or something.
0: Right. You know, whoever was it, you know the it
1: was Playmate of the It worm. was nobody who yeah. It was, uh, but I did find out that somebody got a hold of one of those glasses out in Vegas and they reprinted it and they made a bunch of them. But I really didn't want anything to do with it. To me, it was just a private joke for a few private friends.
0: The guy out in in uh, uh, California or Vegas or whatever that that redid your uh, your big dick class, w- Were you mad about that when when you found out about that, or, or was well, that? No, I
1: I just heard of it offhand. I never, I never talked to him. Never, I didn't even know who he was. But I heard, I heard about it. Where would anybody find a uh, a Williams Big Deal pinball machine? Right. You don't have, there There's probably only maybe half a dozen left in the whole world. Yeah. So. That's a good point. And it wasn't a particularly interesting game. as a collector's item, anyway.
0: Right. Right.
1: I just happened to get one, and it just. It was just kind of... Just a joke. I, think I got it for 20 bucks.
0: Right. <laughs>
1: you know. Sure. And it was just fun to repair it. Gene Cunningham.
0: And he did a book
1: on you. Yeah, he's another fanatic. Got a heart of gold, very... You know, it's hard for me, like, if you're working in a candy store all the time, you get tired of the candy, you know. But it's hard, hard for me to see the absolute, almost fanatic interest.
0: Yeah, do you have a lot of machines now?
1: Well, basically... Gene Cunningham bought a bunch for me. I still, in our family, uh, I've got slot machines farmed out to my brothers and people who like them for their rec room, you know. And uh, I still have a bunch in the basement, but geez, they've, been sitting, they've been sitting for, you know, ever since like, early 80s. <laughs> and I haven't played them once. And then I look at them and I plug them in and, you know, they're not going to work. It's a goofy hobby. You know?
0: Now, when you were making machines at Valley, um, did you have a chance to to buy machines at discounted prices? You know, because you worked there at the factory, or you know? Well,
1: yes, it gave me a lot of hiring because they that was. They were changing over from the, uh, you know, for the scoring, they went from the reels to a, uh, you know, the, the way they do it now with the. Yeah,
0: they went from electromechanical to solid state with yeah, digital scoring, state, really. right?
1: Uh, and so I, they gave me the last one with the uh, the reel type electromechanical. I also sold that to Team Cunningham, so he's got the last of the reel machines. There, how the hell was that? They changed over, I think, around seventy-five.
0: 77, 77, 77 yeah.
1: Yeah, they made um, a lot of that
0: game too. They made yeah. like over a thousand of the electromechanical ones, like you have, and then they made six over sixteen thousand of yeah. the Manaharis with the solid state. Yeah, you know, so you're uh, popular in Europe. Yeah, your artwork got out there. I mean, people a lot of people saw that game. I just was talking to a guy that you know he met his wife at an arcade playing Matahari and uh, you know, or his wife to be at the time. And, um.
1: It was a good game to play, too. Yeah, yeah. He, it, he, he, it's a guy called Greg Kmick. He was the, one of the top designers there. And he, uh, he designed the play, play of that game. It was really a terrific game. Right,
0: yeah. And, um, you know, like this guy, he was just, you know, he bought one on eBay and he was just thrilled to get it. You know, I mean, this yeah. was, you know. did well, he paid for it. <laughs> I, I, you know, I don't know. I didn't ask him, but, you know, he was just. He was just thrilled, and, and one of the reasons he was thrilled is because of the artwork on the game. I mean, to him, it was a really, it, you know, the game had to be in good condition because he wanted all the artwork, you know, to be, you know, as perfect as possible. So well, I did a
1: lot of, there was a little historical uh, research to that game. because the map that she was handing over to this this uh, German ambassador, or whatever you want to call him, or a German double agent or something you know, he was that map I actually uh that was actually the battle map of the Battle of Caporetto in Italy where the Austrian army broke through the uh Italian lines. <laughs> so so I try to be authentic.
0: Now did you come up with that with that name and that theme for Matahari?
1: I don't know. I can't remember tell you truth. I uh but it was the way all the artwork I basically get on my own
0: so did you have like almost a stock of artwork you know as they as new machines came you know you could apply you know no, your, or no. was this done per machine
1: yeah but towards the end everything went to this space stuff and this guy that was appointed to be the art director i uh i i just, I just everything went to hell I just didn't even want to... I wanted to go back to the slot machine department. And actually, towards the end, that's what I was doing mostly anyway with slot machines because there was a a lot of jealousy within the art department. A lot of... Nobody really got along. When that eight ball came out, that was kind of...
0: The Fonzie one?
1: Yeah, that was...
0: Now, you didn't do that one? No. But that one was very similar to your style.
1: Yeah, the person who did that was right next... In a cubicle next
0: to me. It was pretty competitive then.
1: No, it was just, it was just a lot of uh, a very unhappy situation. The, the political situation there was really a bummer.
0: Well, I mean, of all the, all of all the games in the in the seventies. Yeah. You know, you were your artwork definitely stands out above everybody else's I mean I, I don't think there's any argument to that I mean I looked at the you look at the artwork that Williams was doing in that that kind of pointy style artwork I
1: just yeah that
0: there never was a guy liked that.
1: there a guy called Angelo Python and there was another guy there and they were again they uh, they didn't you know had, really didn't want anything to do with me I knew their artist. uh if any time I had to go down to Ad Poster to see how they were doing on uh, silk screening something on, on a game that I was working on, they wouldn't even—they wouldn't. Uh, I had to—I had to sit in the lobby, and they, a, a guy would come out and talk to me like I was like a, his worst enemy, like I was taking work away from him, and basically I was because they're. They went down the tubes, too. Yeah, I mean, time.
0: your your artwork was,
1: un- I mean, unbelievable. I mean, uh, just well, as far exactly. as, like, the the women
0: were always the prettiest, always yeah. the best-looking, always the curviest. Yeah. And on the Williams games, they were always, you know, that pointy. And, and the Gottlieb stuff, they were all real cartoony, you know, that real cartoon look.
1: You know, there that was, that was a ge- guy called George Mullin. He worked on, he was there... Working for ad posters from I think from basically from World War II on, and he just he just had this idea that pinballs should be kind of like Dick and Jane, and, you know, a lot of just cartoony, you know. And there was another guy uh, that worked for ad posters. He uh, he had everything real pointy style faces, that kind of like uh, you know like modern art. If you remember they had one with the Beatles, and then they had another one. Uh,
0: All right, Peepersville.
1: Right. Right. You know, stuff like that. That right. style.
0: Yeah, the Capersville was real pointy art, too. Now, did you ever know Roy Parker, by chance? Hmm? Did you ever know Roy Parker?
1: Yeah, Roy Parker. He was another one from Ad Poster. He had a, that was a cartoony type guy, too. He, he used to like the kind of little sexy, too. He, had a, he always had girls in shorts and stuff like that.
0: Now, you, well, the guy you were talking about at Williams, did you mean Jerry Kelly?
1: Oh, yeah, Jerry Kelly. No, Jerry Kelly worked for Bally, oh, he worked for, for a while, okay he did uh okay, oh he did a lot of stuff in the basically in the sixties, but then he just he just kind of faded away. I don't think he was very interested in it anymore,
0: yeah, he only did thirteen games
1: and uh you know
0: some for Williams and some for Bally. and that was that was about all he did. He didn't do a lot you No. Know, he I uh, met
1: him once he seemed like a nice guy
0: so. What was it, out of all the, all the artwork you did on the pinwall machines, what was the one that you had the most fun with?
1: Uh probably Mata Hari. Yeah, Yeah, that, that's,
0: a, that's a beautiful glass. I, I really, I, I know you don't like the four-color process so much, but I really like the nitro ground shaker one. That and Captain Fantastic, Fantastic and Wizard, those well, ones are like my favorite. I'm
1: one of these people so old-fashioned, like, I... I can't even operate a computer, you know, I, I just, I was stuck with the old, the you know, tried and true, because right now the you know, computer graphics, it's all on the screen, it's uh, an entirely different concept, it's nothing, there is no artwork, it's all, you know, it's, uh, it's a television thing.
0: You don't use a computer at all then, in any of your art, right? You
1: no, know, I still do it the way the Egyptians used to do it. <laughs> Thousands of years. Just like an old scribe over my light table. I like that. Doing the doing the separations and all that stuff. It wasn't I hated the four colour process. It was just a, it was I was just used to doing it the old way.
0: Now I, I once saw a uh, a twin wind back glass that had you know, there's a girl in the center, a real pretty girl in the center, and she's got kind of like a halter top on yeah, right. I saw her. To- I, you know, I saw one version of the class where she's topless.
1: Oh, yeah. Right.
0: Now, did you do that, or did somebody else do that?
1: No, I knew the uh, the guy that designed it, designed the, uh, the play for play. Real nice guy, and he was getting married, and uh, he uh, was very proud of that game. And so uh, uh, we made that up as a joke. I just took a razor blade scraped off her halter in the back, and then I hand-painted this <laughs> boom and stuff, <laughs> and uh, we gave it to you as a birthday present.
0: Wow, that's pretty good. You just hand-painted that, huh? Yeah, uh-huh.
1: yeah. Well,
0: that's why you're the artist, and I'm not. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it was hand-painted, yeah.
0: On Future Spa, said, like, you did the, the artwork for the playfield and the plastics, but not for the back glass. Is that true? Yeah. Well, now, why would that happen?
1: Well, I, uh, like I said, I had an art director who he had, he was more into outer space stuff, you know, like, uh, Flash Gordon type things. And I, uh, we just had a d- different view of the art, you know. I made up a, uh, back glass, and he didn't like it because it, uh, he had just a different idea, and, and so he, he did the back glass.
0: Did you save your artwork?
1: Yeah, I, I still have that back glass somewhere. It was it's actually just, uh, it was drawn on, it was just colored pencils on a, on a, uh, on, a, on the plan, you know, the back glass plan.
0: So were there any other kind of interesting stories that, you know, while you were doing, the, well, you didn't talk about uh, maybe this Air Aces and Bon Voyage?
1: Oh, Air Aces, yeah. We made that up kind of at the height of the Vietnam war, basically the uh we had an aviator there he was coming in from his mission and he had the girl there kind of welcoming him back home. He had this red biplane. Basically it was kind of thought of as kind of like the uh it wasn't a World War 2, it was basically remember the biplanes. It was kind of like a like a like a biplane that they had were using in the uh late 20s and early 30s. Yeah,
0: I was going to say it kind of had a 1930s feel yeah, to it. And yeah, and they
1: basically I had machine guns on the plane and bomb bomb rack and uh in the, on the playfield I mean in the back class there was a battleship like they were all these planes were diving down on a battleship and there was a squadron of little planes in the background and there was it was like they were flying over an enemy battleship and they were about to uh, peel off and dive bomb the damn thing and uh our head of marketing was a guy called Ross Shear and he was definitely against the uh, war in, the, in Vietnam, and he, he wanted to eliminate any any possible connection to war, and it was his personal feeling. So he requested I take out the battleship, disarm the planes, and uh, uh, basically it kind of uh, it screwed up the whole point of the picture, you know what I mean?
0: Right, right, changed the whole
1: theme. Looked like the, the-, the theme was, this guy was coming back from a mission of bombing or sinking his battleship. And in the back, back of the, back in the background, it showed the actual fight where the planes were diving down on this battleship, which was, you know, a quarter of a mile down below these planes, you know. And, uh, so you saw the battleship kind of with a wake like it was, like you used to see the ships when they were trying to avoid a bombing attack, they kind of weave back and forth. And, you know, they had the, the trail behind the ship. And so I basically had this, Battleship kind of running for its life underneath these planes, and then I had, uh, black puffs of anti aircraft fire around the planes, and, uh, all that was taken out. Hmm. And, uh, so it just, so it basically then it was just a bunch of planes, uh, sailing through the sky with no mission. But if you remember the guy said, the guy in the foreground who was with the girl, he, there was a little blurb there that says mission accomplished. So uh, the whole connection was lost.
0: Right. And then on the plane it says he's got a skull and crossbones and the word flash. Did that mean anything? No. No. You know, once again, lost in translation due to the modifications, right?
1: Like on the racing game, I had a lot of names on the, uh, the racing cars. I had. Uh, Names of uh, people who worked in the department, you know, the engineer. I think Norm Clark and they had uh, William O'Donnell on there. That was the president of the company and, the, you know, sponsors, different sponsors. You know, they write on the NASCAR stuff, you know, like that.
0: You mean on the, t- you're talking about on, Twin Win. On,
1: on both the racing games I made. Oh,
0: you mean that you had names on both of them, huh?
1: Like on Ground Shaker, there was various names of guys that worked in the department. And uh, and the other one, was that Texas Twin thing, that was they had a lot of names of people that worked in the department.
0: Yeah, like on the car in Nitro Ground Shaper, it said Dr. Doom. I, I don't know if that means anything.
1: No, that didn't mean anything. The only, only thing was on the uh, Mata Hari thing, the, the Germans got very upset. Even though they loved the game, they didn't like that inscription on the dagger, which they said brought back bad memories. <laughs> Figured they lost more.
0: <laughs> so is that in the um, in the nitro ground shaker on the car, it says Mad Dog Christensen, which of course yeah. is you. And yeah. is that you in the
1: car? Well, that's a better looking version of me. <laughs> <laughs> now, how did you get that name Mad Dog? I got that name in the Army. They called me Mad Dog because I was, you know, where I was I just uh, did a lot of nutty stuff when I was in the army. So they uh, mostly uh, drinking exploits and stuff like that. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> so you know, in the army, you there are a lot of nicknames for different characters. You know, right? Like, for instance, one of the guys I was stationed in would called him Jackpot Sullivan because first time he got his pay, he get his paycheck, walk into the EM club sit down before a slot machine and he wouldn't he wouldn't stop playing the damn thing till he got a jackpot and so he was always broke (laughs) right right i guess mad dog is probably tipped over a mercedes coming off a mountain one time and that 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 got everybody very excited (laughs) rolling a mercedes down a mountain
0: was this in the army (laughs) you're talking about a mercedes like a
1: passenger car? Yeah. I was in Germany. I had a little Mercedes that I bought, a little old one, 1953 Mercedes. <laughs> it looked like something that was made in the 30s, you know, it had the old type fenders and stuff, you know. Kind of a cute old car. Wish I had it today. But, uh yeah, I tried not to. You know, you you, you can put little things in these back glasses that... And well, uh, I didn't want to do anything that would uh, actually uh, be insulting or anything to anybody. But you know, he did silly things. You know.
0: Sure, no, I think you did a great job. I mean, outstanding. So, all right, Dave, is there anything I left out that I that I should have brought up?
1: No, I uh, like I guess say I left there in '82, a long time ago. But I'm still doing artwork. Right, I'm doing stuff for Harley Davidson right now, so I'm still at it. Got an office at home, but you have to realize I'm 68 years old now, so it's uh, kind of a, I'm part of the over the hill gang. <laughs> <laughs> no,
0: nah, not yet. Not yet. Oh, what's in your heart and what you draw with that pen, you know?
1: Well, still works. I still got my set of rapidographs, and so uh, Harley likes the stuff I do. So
0: there you go. There you what go. What the hell? Well, thanks again, Dave. I appreciate the time. I really
1: appreciate you talking to me. Yeah, say hello to my friend in Cleveland. Tell him I hope to see him again. All right, I'll I'll have him give you a call. Okay, thanks. Okay, you take care. Bye-bye.
0: I'd like to thank Dave Christensen for spending some time with us and talking to us here on TopCast. really do appreciate his time and his artwork. His artwork is just unbelievable, one of the most... You know, famous artist of the whole pinball era is certainly Dave Christensen here. I really appreciate him spending some time with us. So until next time, I hope to hear you again Top okay.